Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Final hours here, Outkick 360 across the Outkick network, 6th and Peabody, our location. With Yaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Coming up in 20 minutes, Armando Salguero of Outkick.com, the very latest across the NFL. And how ESPN was three weeks late in report that Armando had three weeks ago. We've got details Just, on that. Uh, got, Armando, correct me if I'm wrong, former ESPN employee, correct, for a long yes, time? Yeah. Worked for ESPN a long time? Just acted like it didn't exist. <laughs> didn't even happen. We have obtained... This and I'm thinking, man, really, really missed the boat on that. We got one. Details we'll ask on about that. that. Yeah. Um, so right now, here are your NFC wide receivers, new wide receivers this offseason. AJ Brown to the Eagles. Um, Hollywood Brown is now in the NFC with the Cardinals. Drake London, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson. All rookies in the NFC. Quarterback heaven in the AFC and the NFC loaded up on wide receivers. Yeah, that's interesting because we talked about uh, not just the quarterbacks, but predominantly the quarterbacks, but just the AFC was getting everything. Um, and so the NFC there in the draft really uh, – and, and there were some moves made to get some of those wide receivers too, Detroit in particular. Um, but uh, when those three went off the board, Williams – Alave and um, Dotson. Drake London. Dotson. Oh, Dotson. No, yeah. And L- well, London went. No, London went first. Then there was a run of the three. Um, r- r- I didn't realize Traylon Burks was in that run too. You no, know, Traylon Burks was uh, with the, at the end. Who, who, I can't think of the third one, but there were three in a row. Right, Garrett there. Wilson. Garrett Wilson. Yeah. Alave and and uh, Jameson Williams. Yeah, all three uh, former teammates at Ohio State together. Yeah. That that's some terrific receiving talent coming in now. Odds are that one of them, for some reason, doesn't, doesn't – I mean, you're not going to hit on the six. Well, the, the, the over-under was six and a half. Would it wind up being seven? Seven. Eight. 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 eight in the first round, yeah. You know, all eight of them are not going to hit for some reason. It's hard to imagine it because we're high on all of them. We like all of them. They're all very talented. But you don't hit seven guys, eight guys in one position in one first round. It just doesn't happen that way. Somebody's going to have a chronic ankle that sets him back and just turns him into an average guy. Um, so something happens, right? You know, what, you know what doesn't need to happen for the wide receiver market to continue at the rate it's at right now for veterans? They don't need all of them to hit. Yeah, no. They they're need probably one of them to kind hit. of rooting against them. They, they want this to be, man, we are special. And it's hard to find a great wide receiver even in the first round to our level because I'd referenced this before, but this great gamble – by John Robinson with A.J. Brown and then drafting Traylon Burks, who has a lot of A.J. Brown's traits, if it pays off for the Titans quickly, 
this could be a blueprint for some other teams to follow and say, you know, maybe wide receiver is more available early on in the career for guys, and it's not as special. A it's a special position. A replenishment position. But it's not a special skill set for guys playing college football coming right into the league. So, it, it, say these guys hit. Say two-thirds of them hit. And next year, two-thirds of however many hit. Does it become a replenishment position to a large share of the league after yes. that? Just two? Well, I, I, and it's been going well, well obviously. Even, even, even to some extent, the teams that are quote unquote replenishing instead of paying their guys still paid guys. I mean, they're the Titans are paying Robert Woods ten million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, but and, having and that's, a ten million guy, dollar guys, it's less than half of what AJ. Got. Right. I mean, it's it's got to be probably more than two years for it to happen. It's got to be it's more teams happening. in the Titans. It's been happening that pay off they, and they, do they it. They paid Julio Jones fifteen last year. Yeah, yeah. but they're, well, they're, they're and they're paying the price for that now. But my point is, they're willing to pay some top dollar to bring some guys in. It may not be a well, true number the, one wideout, but they're willing to pay 10-plus, which is among the highest-paid players on offense. And the Titans paid for Derrick Henry, which is not a prime position in the NFL right, right now. Well, But, but the they Eagles. paid for a special guy. my gut. question is, in two or three years, if it keeps trending this way, will they still be? No, I, I think there's going to be a shift if in two or three years we see more of this. I mean, it sounds crazy right now with the money these top receivers are getting. So I understand what I'm saying is a ways off, but I, I – presented this to Armando or John McClain at one point. If I'd have told you in 1987 that the running back position was going to be one that every NFL team looks at and says, oh, we'll get a guy in the fourth or fifth round unless they're truly special. You can easily replenish. You can plug and play guys in that position. Not all that special. Not a special skill set. Plenty of guys out there athletic with that athletic ability to do it. Uh, you would have thought I was crazy had I said that. So things can always change. The Eagles are paying top dollar for AJ Brown, but they also have Devontae Smith on a rookie deal in year two. Yep. You know, then they've invested in the draft there too. Um, speaking of investment, have the Colts done enough? Fact or fiction? Have they have they done enough this off season around Matt Ryan compared to where they left off a year ago uh, or months ago to now? Um, when you start to look at the investment, they they have brought in Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. They have paired Alec Pierce with Jelani Woods, uh, the talented rookie tight end. They have Andrew Ogletree, who they drafted in the sixth round. They, they think they're bringing back T.Y. Hilton. They, they have some talent offense on offense coming back. They, they still have youth at receiver. They drafted have Raymond, uh, uh, the, the offensive lineman. Yep. So on a surface level have, have they provided Matt Ryan with enough weapons and and keep in mind they're another team that will be investing heavily in running back i, I think they're still a guy short on offense they need a uh they kind of need what the titans need a, a absolute take the top off explosive guy that they lack I think they would TY Hilton not be that guy no, he's, no. he's always hurt Always hurt, and he's lost a step for absolute sure. I like, too, what they did on defense, Hut. Let's not discount that. Stephon Gilmore, um, Rodney McLeod, and Ngakwe. I'm not discounting it, but the question yeah. is, have they done enough on offense around Matt Ryan? I think they've come up a little bit short. I, I think they consistently, uh, uh, under this regime, have overrated their receivers. Pittman. I like Pittman, too. Pittman can be legit. They, I, but their possession. I, I asked this because he's a possession type. They are a Debo Samuel away. Yes, I agree with you. And but they don't have the draft picks. Draft. I know. Capital. I know. I know. 
that they would make total sense for a Debo Samuel like player. What about a Jarvis Landry? Uh, a, uh, or, or, or Jarvis, Jarvis Landry. Again, like Pittman can be your number one option. They, they have Pierce, who's going to come in and play uh, the, the rookie from Cincinnati wide receiver yeah, position. I like him. Can you supplement in a Jarvis Landry who's uh, a very sure handed, capable player, not a number one, but someone that's going to provide that extra security for Matt Ryan? What's your over under on Jarvis Landry's age? Jarvis uh, Landry's probably 29. I would say 31. I would have said 32. He's 29. His birthday's in November. Winner, 29 winner. and a half. Winner, winner. Yeah, good job. Um, um, I think I, he feels I, older than they, that. They need to make one more move. I but think it doesn't have to be a, ma- a mega. Uh, if, they, if you drop Debo Samuel on that offense, um, we thought everyone was on board with the Colts last year. Oh, people would go crazy with the Colts. <laughs> it, it would turn sports books upside down yeah. with, with the amount of public betting money towards the Colts. Well, I think if you put Debo Samuel on that team, Dan Dockich might bet them to win the conference <laughs> like I misunderstood him Look, to have done yesterday. Yeah. I think they've done enough. but Enough I mean, to win the division? Enough to compete for the division, I think. But, I mean, yeah, Debo Samuel would set it over the top where there'd be, it'd be no doubt. Okay, they've done enough around Matt Ryan. But I think with what – I mean, it, that's – to me, that's borderline unrealistic of what they could accomplish this offseason. So for I, I think they've got to the baseline oh. of where they need to be offensively. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say fact. They've done enough around Matt Ryan to where they can compete for the division. I think both the Titans and the Colts are relying a little bit too much on young targets for their veteran quarterbacks. Uh, if you look at the Seattle depth chart, it remains the same at quarterback right now. They're not interested in Baker Mayfield. Fact or fiction, Seattle should have drafted a quarterback. Fact. Yeah, this is a fact. I mean, I don't know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. They're trying to bottom out Thank and you. get one of the top guys next year. Yeah. I mean, that's the look, problem I, is they have too, many, too much competition for, the, for those spots. I, I think they'll be pretty good at being pretty bad. There, there's a handful of teams that are going to be awful this year. And, I mean, Seattle's going to be one of them. Um, but uh, I mean, if we're going to be clamoring for punishment on guys or teams that are tanking on purpose, based on the, the, the offseason narrative that they, these teams are going to be clamoring for two quarterbacks, uh, I see four or five teams that we've been putting in that conversation all offseason. It's also a very dangerous game to just go into a year thinking, well, we'll bottom out and get one of these great quarterbacks coming out of the draft. Because a year ago at this time, Sam Howell was the projected number one overall pick in the draft, or Matt Corral. My only yeah, point but, is things things but, happen. And two we, years ago, we knew Trevor Lawrence would be, and and, and, that and it happens. And Trevor Lawrence also may not be any good. I mean, you know, we don't know yet right now. So but there, there are always surefire. I don't years. know. I don't know that I would say that. We've CJ, got one coming up. C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, I think are going to be really good, but I also think that things can change. You know, anything. Could, someone could suffer a devastating injury this year, and then you're left with one of those guys, and maybe that guy doesn't have the year we thought he was going to have and was dinged up a little bit, and suddenly he's not the same prospect. Um, if you're going to go for the number one pick, you better go for it. And this is one way to go for it, by not having a quarterback at all, which is what Seattle's doing right now. They're going to be awful. So go for that number one pick, and you're going to get your choice. I was watching uh, two firsts. Hunt and two I were at lunch, and we saw Todd McShay had his top <laughs> picks for next year yeah. already. And I'm looking on the screen, and he's got – The wide got, receiver like – it Prediction. was, it was uh, like C.J. Stroud, number one overall. 
Bryce Young from Alabama, number two overall. Anthony Richardson was like number six overall from <laughs> yeah. Florida, who no one's talking about. Van Dyke from Miami. Will Levis. Who I know very little about. Yeah, Will Levis from Kentucky was in between there, eighth to the Giants. <laughs> they had, but I'm looking at these guys and I'm thinking, these guys aren't that good. I haven't seen enough from these guys in college yet to try to say that they're that, that, that year, good. Uh, but I mean, here's another thing, Seattle. Will Levis is fine. I don't look at Will Levis and think top ten pick at franchise quarterback in the NFL. No, I said when this I watch before, him play. I, and I don't know what Will Levis is or isn't going to be, but I know there's a college football season that changed a lot of minds about a lot of people up and down. And the Broncos have two firsts and two seconds, courtesy of the Russell Wilson trade, so they will be able to move. Now you're not going to be able to move into one if C.J. Stroud's clearly number one, or into two if Bryce Young. If they're clearly one and two, you're not going to get to one and two if those teams happen to be right. one and two. But if the Jaguars are there again and they're still on the Lawrence trade, you could get they will you be. could get there, and we're pretty sure they will be right. So um, you know they've got they ma- maneuverability, and I-, I would say they could at least get to the third quarterback. And I would say the third quarterback next year will be better than the third quarterback this year. Um, and finally, the DeAndre Hopkins suspension dooms either Kyler Murray and or Cliff Kingsbury? I think that fact... Six games. uh, He missed five last year. It's a fact in that it's going to contribute to their doom. But there's a lot of other things circling around right now that's already spelled their doom. They were eight and three with him in the lineup last year. I'm going to say fact. I I think it dooms them. Yeah, and this is not a a good offseason for all of this to happen at once with Kyler Murray and his uncertainty, with the way they finish the season, uh, with a lot of talk around Cliff Kingsbury. It's fact. It's going to doom them. I'm not a Hollywood Brown guy, but I'm, I'm not willing to doom them either out of this. They're a hot starting team. I know Hopkins was a big factor in that. I think they probably follow their regular pattern and are doomed later in the season, but not necessarily as a result of Hopkins not being there early. I don't like them. I, I don't think they'll ultimately uh, – the, the division's too good. What is Hollywood Brown's superpower as a receiver, though? His speed. speed. His speed, knock the top off, deep ball. What was his complaint about Lamar Jackson and Baltimore in their offense? Yeah, couldn't get deep ball. So we're going to find out. I he, mean, if Kyler like, Murray's the quarterback I mean, that, that we think like is. Between 50 and 70 times. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm well, guessing I'm, I'm, there. And but, deep because it was the counter to the run game. Yeah, right? I, I mean, I'm, it's, I'm it's, saying that's, that's his complaint. So we're going to see. Oh, well, Murray will let it. He'll launch yes. it. Oh. He'll launch it. He's got he'll a quarterback now that's going to want to throw it But is Hollywood Brown any different uh, with Hopkins? With Hopkins in the lineup. Is he any different than Christian Kirk was to that offense? Like, Christian Kirk was the speed guy. That guy'd rather have Christian Kirk. But uh, – my point being, like with, with DeAndre Hopkins in the lineup, Hollywood Brown can be a huge playmaker for yeah, them. Without him. If he's the number one guy. Take him away. And, uh, here's the other thing. Cliff Kingsbury needs to figure out how to use Zach Ertz. You traded for him at the deadline last year. Figure out how to make the tight end position worthy of being a position that capitalizes down the middle of the field for Kyler Murray. Well, they also spent their second pick, I think, on oh, Trey McBride. Yes. So not only do you have to figure out Ertz, they have to figure out tight end. Yeah, Period. I mean, if you're going to go more too tight, and they don't run a lot too tight. Wow. Um, it, it's, it's a weird, that was that, a weird pick. Has that offense, you know, he's a, he's a son of the air raid and Mike Leach, Cliff Kingsbury, isn't he? He's, he's tweaked things here and there, but have they ever really heavily featured a tight end? I feel like Cliff Kingsbury is the type no, of coach that gets in. they run a lot of and, 10 personnel. 
Yeah, they, I feel they like go, he, he gets a yeah. tight end and says, what is this? What they do I do the with most this type 10, of player? They ran the most 10 in the league last year, I think. But that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing, though. It's a weird move to go get Zach Ertz with a coach who seemingly hasn't run with a tight end in college or the NFL and, and doesn't really draft, know how to. And then draft a tight end. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that signals they're changing. If they're not changing, they're stupid. Yeah, and then they just, you know, they, they've got to, it comes down to the structure of how they're going to protect Kyler Murray long-term, long-term for the season. First half of the season, I mean, he's, he's doing all these acrobatic magician, you know, pulling the rabbit out of the hat type throws, um, you know, off the back foot, just letting it launch, and guys are running deep and wide open. And then teams figured out how to rush the passer. And he was, he was either running for his life or it was similar to what we saw in the, the playoff game uh, against the Rams, where he's, he's either seeing ghosts or he's throwing into triple coverage for the interceptions. It was not good. And that's how they finished the last two years on those losing streaks. But I do think this dooms them because the hot starts is something you could always count on from them. You know, the last unbeaten team last year, Hopkins is a producer no matter what offense he's in or, you know, however your quarterback's playing. Well, at least we know exactly He will happens. now miss 11 consecutive games for that organization. He missed five last year if you count the playoffs, and then he misses the, the six to begin this year. They're done. And I don't know if it's, if, if it's a combo, though. That's why I said and or, because I think I, do, I get the feeling it, this will end up being either Murray or Kingsbury, but, but not both. I kind of think they're joined at the hip. I think they both may be doomed. I think there's been a year. separation between the two. They're, they've been there was a lot of finger pointing after the playoff loss, which makes it awkward when they share an agent, <laughs> as yeah. both these guys do. Who's recovered worse? Here's a, here's a quick yeah. one. Who's recovered worse from their devastating playoff loss? The Titans or the Cardinals? Oh, the the Cardinals, because I'm not talking just personnel. I'm talking like. Getting over it. Because the Titans haven't gotten uh, over it. Oh, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good question because the, the, the Cardinals lost their way into the postseason last year. Like, they were on this long losing streak and then made they found their way in the playoffs right. based on their 7-0 and start and their 8-3 and overall But the start. loss and everything set off this whole Kyler Murray disaster yeah. and everything, which they haven't recovered from. Titans... You know, John Robinson's crying at the Combine. Ryan Tannehill went to therapy. And there's a feeling around that building that it's still present. He's crying at the Combine and was looking into other quarterbacks. Um, like many were, but... Uh, it's, it's also completely different losses. Like, the Cardinals had lost before they got there. Yeah, probably. I mean, they did, were not expecting to win that game. They expected to look better than they did, but... Their season was headed down, down, down before that. that. The end so of the it was season, a collapse of the season. The way the, their season The Titans ended. was total shock and awe. That was the problem was they were primed to do something and host an AFC championship game, and they fell flat on their face in game number one. It's a different level of disappointment and shock. It's also a different level of malcontent. You've got Ryan Tannehill, who was a, a hermit all offseason and really didn't lead, but he's not – upset with the organization no. to where he's complaining about he's his contract or anything else, about. right? And now you got Kyler Murray who seemingly doesn't want to be an Arizona Cardinal unless they give him everything he wants. Different situations. He's got nothing to be upset about, that's for sure.
Unless he's upset that they were looking for another quarterback. He's got nothing to be upset about. They sh- I mean, he should have anticipated a uh, ultimate successor coming in the building at some point. Coming up, Armando Salguero joins us. We discuss a coaching summit that he reported on three weeks ago that ESPN obtained this week. And we'll, we'll get his thoughts on this. Plus, uh, we'll ask him about Ryan Tannehill, like a quarterback he covered while he covered the Miami Dolphins. That's all straight ahead on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Oh, Kick 360 rolls on. 18 days ago. April 16th. You would have known about the diversity meeting that's taking place amongst NFL coaches and general managers um, across the NFL. That would have been from Armando Salguero at Outkick.com. You would have had this at Outkick weeks ago. ESPN obtained the same information within the last, what, 24, 48 hours and obtained is in quotes here because... Armando's had this for weeks, and they're using this as their own report. Armando, congratulations. I, I, we try to have topics that will be discussed you know, tomorrow or the next day uh, across the NFL. I, I've, I've never been able to be 18 days ahead of the curve here. <laughs> right. So, um, full disclosure, uh, it's kind of embarrassing that the website made a big deal out of me doing my job. <laughs> so there's that. Well, the, the, the website's doing a big deal about ESPN not doing its job and citing you yeah, for that's, having that's this That's the big ago. deal. Okay. Then I stand corrected and the website is awesome. And you guys are making a big deal out of me doing my job. How's that? And again, thank you. And I think the bigger issue is not the, the timing of the ESPN report, but the fact that this is happening. I mean, think about this. So the NFL has decided that to improve its diversity, it is going to bring quote unquote diverse candidates to the owners meetings to get into a room with ownership. And that is fine. That is good. Except that there is no such meeting for white candidates. There is no such meeting, you know, for anybody else. It's like, it really is almost like, if you want to go there, it's reverse discrimination. No, no, we're going to, Put people in a room and you can't come. We're going to have this meeting and you're not invited. Not because you don't have the ability that these people have. Not because you don't have the resume that these people have. But you're not the right race or you're not the right gender 
uh, or you're not the right ethnic origin. That's the reason that these people are in that room. It's also, a, it's, know, it's also nominated through the team, correct? Like, it's not for every minority coach. It's your, the team designates the minority coaches that are, you know, given the, you, you, you meet the criteria, so you're, you're on the flight with ownership headed to the league meeting. Right. And of course, you know, there's going to be a difference of opinion, uh, I would suggest to you, amongst different minority coaches as to whether they uh, should be included or not, especially if they're the ones that get left out. Again, it, it feels icky to me. It, it just, it just, this isn't organic in the least. And I know that they're trying to address the fact that 70% of the players in the NFL, maybe more pretty soon, are African-American black and not 70% are coaches and not 70% are general managers or personnel people. Meanwhile, if I, unless I miss my, my, my guess, 100% of ownership is white. That's where the problem is, guys. It's not the fact that, you know, coaches are this color or that color. The problem is in that room, there's one side that's 100% not representative of the population of the United States. Shad Khan's a minority. Um, I, 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 I just feel compelled to say. Is like, he Caucasian? Is Shad Khan? Yeah. I, I don't know what he's classified at. He's, he's a minority. Right. Well, he's not black, but he's, he's not, I don't think he's classified as white. I'm pretty sure he's a Caucasian. Uh, I, I mean, to me, to, to say white guys aren't invited to the meeting, it, 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 there's an obligation to say, well, white guy, black guys haven't been invited to the jobs. So I'd rather have a job than an invitation to the meeting. I, I think that would be the counter, counter to that, generally speaking. Well, that's they that's why invited. they're having the meeting. It's not an invitation type of thing. It's you either win or you lose. It's not by invitation. You know, I haven't been invited to any of those jobs either, but I understand why. And so it's not an invitation issue, Paul. It's a, a hiring. Uh, it, 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 it's a it's a it's an issue about who's good enough. And I would say to you, if you're just going to decide that you're only good enough, if you are a certain race and you say as much, that's a little weird. I, I agree, but I don't think Bob McAdoo was a good head coach or judge, or I think there have been a ton of white guys hired who sucked and not as many black guys hired who might have sucked or might have been good. I think that that's not what we're talking about, though. I'm talking about good enough to be hired. I didn't say good enough to win Super Bowls. Who did, uh, Bob, who did uh, Ben McAdoo get his uh, job over? I don't know, off the top of my head. 
Yeah, but you're saying that he should have he should have not been hired over anyone else based on his result with the Giants. I'm saying a lot. Uh, uh, and not even a, knowing who interviewed. No, I'm saying a ton of white guys have been hired and fired, and fewer black guys have been hired and fired. That that's f- a, f- a fact of the league. Well, that, that doesn't mean they were hired because they're white. Well, and Armando, I, I would ask the question this way because you brought up the issue. You know, okay, there's there's 32 owners who are white, <laughs> making that they have final say over everything. So. I, I just don't know how you compel someone that is a billionaire to tell them what they need to do. It's my experience that typically when you try to tell someone of that level of power what to do, they're not going to do it. And I know that you, I think you spoke to someone, Armando, a, a source or a coach you were talking to that says, I, I've been with my organization for a while. The, I don't think the owner knows my name, you know, and it, it was a white coach that you were talking to. I, I, so, to be completely honest with you, I doubt most of these owners know who they're talking about or who they're talking to half the time. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, it, it doesn't matter. If you're below them, they don't know you half the time. And I, I don't know how to remedy that issue all around other than just uh, you know forcing someone to sell to a minority and saying, well, we're going to be more representative now and we're going to have 70% minority ownership in the NFL, which would violate every law in America. You're absolutely right. Most of these owners, the, the, you know, they, with, th- there are exceptions, but with rare exceptions, I would say, when they interview coaching candidates to hire a head coach, oftentimes it's the first time that they meet those candidates. Uh, the general manager might know the candidates. There might be a, a knowledge of reputation, but oftentimes it's a meet and greet and then the interview because these, these coaches, uh, they come up so fast. They basically come out of nowhere. A lot of them take the Miami dolphins, for example, Mike McDaniel. (laughs) Really? So now he's, he's was, he's, it was his second coaching interview ever. Uh, as, as a head coach and he got hired. My point to you is that owners don't go around vetting typically head coaching candidates until it's time to go around vetting head coaching candidates. So big story around the NFL this week started here in Nashville uh, with Ryan Tannehill saying in his media availability that it's not his job to mentor Malik Willis Armando, you, you wrote at OutKick.com that Ryan Tannehill at one point in his career has stated that he was the beneficiary of being mentored a bit at the quarterback position. What, what, did you, what was your first reaction to that quote? And, and tell us more about Ryan Tannehill's history in Miami. Right. So it was, it's interesting that Ryan went there because he, he's different than – clearly he's different than when he was in Miami – Um, He was more guarded. He watched what he said a lot more. I mean, Ryan, Miami, Ryan Tannehill would have never talked about, uh, you know, having therapy to get over the the rough playoff loss and get over the the quote unquote scar uh, that that loss left and to, you know, be able to overcome sleepless nights. None of that would have ever been articulated in Miami. And definitely uh, the idea that 
I'm not going to mentor. It's not my job to mentor a guy. Uh, that would have never been articulated because I think that to a degree he feels, you know, empowered. He's, he's had good seasons with, with the Tennessee Titans, good regular seasons anyway. And he's 34 years old or close to it. So, and Miami, Ryan Tannehill was, you know, 24, 25, 26, and learning the ropes. But as he was learning the ropes in Miami, someone, Matt Moore, mentored him, became a close friend to him after competing with him. And the idea that Ryan now believes it's not his job to mentor uh, a teammate who might need it, he's right. It's not his job. That's not what he is paid to do. But it's selfish. Let's call it what it is. It's selfish. You can compete with people and bring them along. Um, and, and it's not just, I don't think, in sports uh, and in, in a locker room. Look, um, again, once upon a time, Steve Weich was my backup at the Miami Herald. Jeff Darlington was my backup at the Miami Herald. Uh, Rachel Alexander sat across the room from me, uh, and so did Dan Graziano. And I remember them saying, are you killing us today? I helped as far as, as much as I could, all of those people, even though I knew that, hey, um, they're, they're climbers, they're, they're gonna go places, um, and obviously, if they're going places, it does not benefit me. You wrote a, a, a interesting story about guys being overdrafted, and you weren't talking to draft analysts; you were talking to scouts. Interested, particularly in in Tyquan Thornton, the the Baylor receiver that Belichick took uh, high in most people's eyes. D do you think it's an arrogance thing, uh, Armando? Um, because it's one thing to say, hey, we're getting our guy and we don't care, but it's another thing to give away draft rounds where you're not accurately assessing how the rest of the league views a guy and you're giving away a couple rounds, perhaps. It's almost like they aim to shock <laughs> with their draft <laughs> picks when they do it. You know, I think that there's been – there's two things, and I asked a couple of people about this. In New England in particular, I think there's been something of a brain drain where a lot of good people have gone on to, you know, bigger things and haven't necessarily been excellently replaced. That's number one. Number two, uh, who says no to Bill Belichick in New England? Who is the guy that says, Bill, um, no, man, you're wrong on this one. Uh, Taekwon Thornton is a, a straight line track guy and he's gonna struggle and he's built like a like a rail and people are just gonna lock him down and it's gonna take him a year or two or three to figure out just to, how to get off the line who says that to bill belichick in new england now because all of the people with so-called pelts or notches on their belt they went elsewhere where they're running their draft or they're doing they've improved their position career-wise somewhere else. So now what he's got is people who are coming up, and I don't know that a lot of those people are saying, Bill, come on, man. We're not the smartest cats in the room. Everybody else is thinking, 
that this guy is a third round pick or a fourth round pick. Sean McVay was thinking that their first overall pick, their first round pick was going to be there for them in the third round. And Sean McVay is no dummy. And the Los Angeles Rams are no dummies. So that's, that's the issue that I have with the Patriots, especially in the personnel side right now. Armando, uh, among those, who, who did you feel like, you know what, that, that team really got it right? Or, I won't say, I, I'm not into the draft grading, but which draft did you think made the most sense? You know, it just kind of fit need versus want versus best player. Right. Well, I mean, I, I like the Titans draft. I do. I just, I like it. I just wish that it had been under different circumstances because I don't understand. I, I, I don't, I didn't like the trade of AJ Brown. I think it's, I think it's poorly timed. The Titans to me are a team that it are at a certain uh, place and time in their growth and development as a team. And AJ Brown was part of that. And now in being the number one overall seed, by the way, and now they're saying, well, we've replaced AJ Brown uh, with Burks, except you haven't because Burks is not experienced in the NFL He's never gotten off the line of scrimmage in the NFL. He's never run a pass pattern in the NFL. There is zero way that he is going to be A.J. Brown come September. It's not going to happen. It's, he might be in two years. He might be at, at, at the end of this year if he's great. But the point is, I don't believe that that team has a whole lot of time to spend developing unless of course they understand that their quarterback is not a championship quarterback, in which case they're looking to the future anyway. And they're saying as much without saying as much. Well, that would be the exact opposite outlook of any other AFC team that feels like they're at the top right now. Uh, Top being of their division of the four divisions. Uh, The Titans would take an opposite look on trying to lengthen the window rather than take advantage of what's in front of them. Uh, like we're seeing with others. Uh, Plenty of meat on the bone to dive into uh, with Armando over the coming weeks as we get further down the the, the offseason of the league and and get geared towards training camps. Armando, always great work, man. Continued uh, great work at the site. We'll be reading, and we'll catch up next week. Thanks. All right, gentlemen. Thanks, Armando. Armando Salguero there, outkick.com for more there with all of the news and notes across the National Football League. We have some news and notes going into tonight's sports evening for you next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on. I would go to fanduelcom slash OK360 right now and take the Avs. Minus half a goal for the Ooh. first period tonight. 
On it. Run it. Run what is to the, it. Uh, what, Sprint. What, is the, what are the odds of Tide? Is it like plus 300 at the end of one period? Because I might go with that one just to get the better odds. They're not yeah, going to tie, Chief. Um, at one period. They're not going to tie. One, one period. period. They're not going to tie. <laughs> I need one. You go ahead and Paul, do that, but it's I a waste one, of money. I need one period out of the Preds to tie them for one I period. Seen all I, those. I just saw the plus or minus uh, half, gonna, a, half a goal for the first period. It. Will not tie. That's what I was doing the other night. I uh, was watching the first period, and I, took, I said, you know what? If the Preds are going to win a game in this series, oh, please it's going to be game one. Please say how you bet throughout the, so, the first period. I, had, I took the Preds' money line. It was amazing, line. and then you went well, a little bit too far. I took the Preds' money line, and I was, you know, I was like, if they're going to win a game in the series, it's going to be game one. And, of course, it was 5 nothing by the end of the first period, uh, Colorado Avalanche. But what I did is I got my money back because I then took Colorado – Let's see here. I took Colorado minus two and a half. You started in the first at two period. nothing. They scored two quick goals, and you started two with nothing, the minus two and a half. Two and a half for the first period puck line. I took minus two and a half. So they just needed to lead by three. Well, soon thereafter, ten minutes in the game, it's three nothing. So I jump on board and I take Colorado minus three and a half. Add more money to the pocket there, and boom, four nothing. I take Colorado minus four and a half. Bam, hits again. They're up 5 nothing with four minutes to play in the first period. And I'm thinking, man, this is too good. I've got to go minus 5.5. Got to keep it up. It was 5 nothing after the end of the first period. But that look, this, this is everybody that has said, like, this is a sweet. There was an assistant coach, and I wish I could remember. I think it was the Calgary Flames. Um, assistant coach who said, that prior to the Preds being the wild card team that's playing in Colorado, that said... I pity the team, the wildcard team that has to come here and play this team. They're wasting nine days. The wildcard team is wasting nine days of playing in the postseason if you have to play the Avs. It's going to be pain. It's, it's not going to be painless, but it will be swift. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so it, it far, tur- turns out it was the Preds. And then everyone said there was like a 34, 35% chance in previewing the postseason for the NHL that Colorado would sweep the Preds. And then it was given all these percentages, 35 to 30, 34-35% that Colorado would sweep. 0% of the Preds would sweep. Zero per, like no chance. Even though they, there was amazing. a chance, they said 0%. And these are two playoff teams, by the way. But this is due to the Predators being without their goalie who would have given them a chance to win a sure. game at the very least. But, but th- this is also a league where we've seen eight seeds make a run. And With their goalie. Or with a hot goalie. Yeah. Like uh, with well, a goalie that stops everything in front of them. And, and we've seen backup goalies um, uh, perform well. In, these in two situations. backup goalies stink. Um, uh, yes. And it was horrendous. I, I thought, oh, you know, if they're going to win, it's going to be game one. They're going to be fired up with everyone talking about how there's no chance. Uh, I, I ha- this is over in four. And. It, no, was, it, it was, was over. It was, it was over. In the 10 whole minutes. series ended in the first four minutes when yeah. it was three nothing. Uh, I've got the the uh, odds here. Okay. To tie the first period, it's plus two twenty five. So scoreless, one one, two two, whatever. You can get it plus two twenty five right now. So here's what I did. I hedged a little. All right. I put some money on the tie at the end of the first period result. I also bet a goal scored in the first four minutes and fifty nine seconds, which, if you say yes, is plus one fifty eight right right now. And Colorado jumped all over the Preds quickly. So I bet on a goal being scored in the first five minutes. Four minutes and 59 seconds exactly. 
uh, in the game. I don't see this that. Is one. I, I this is fun. Uh, I, I, I haven't been betting bet. hockey all year, but now Hutton's got me into it. Oh, there it is. Goal in the first five minutes. Plus 158. I'll go there, too. Uh, enjoy your hockey tonight. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now we got a reason to watch this Preds Avs game. Uh, Paul, your sons turned it on the fourth quarter last night. It was close. It was a really good competitive game. Uh, second quarter is like 57-54. I mean, their uh, Mavs are making shots and they're going back and forth. And then the Suns just – I felt like the Mavs were playing on like 8 out of 10. Like they, they, were, they were playing at a really high level and matching the Suns. And then the Suns just cranked it up to 11 over the final 10 minutes of that game. Suns are going to get it done. They, they missed nothing. They're up 2-0 in that series. Um, um, at some point when um, – we're not going to do any spoilers right now while people watch, but – once Hutton finishes Ozark, we'll need to have a discussion about the conclusion of the show. I'm about But that is one where we away. give people a long time to watch. It's not going to be anytime soon. We'll let everyone that needs to watch the final seven episodes. Eight. I think it's seven. I think it was seven and seven. 14 I did some, episodes. Yeah, I did it, some cranking. The final episode night. is episode 14. Now, here's my message to Netflix. Get going on something else immediately. <laughs> like what? I don't know. I want something else good, new, probably, to be on Netflix. I mean, there is something right every away. day on Netflix. Like, there's something new dropping probably right this yeah, second. Yeah, but nobody's talking about it. It's got to be great. There they is so much the on oh, right Jack, now. Jack can come in tomorrow and give you I mean, <laughs> to- to Tokyo Vice on HBO Max <laughs> is terrific. I don't want HBO uh, Max. I'm saying Netflix keeps raising the price. Keep raising oh, the price. Oh, yeah. okay. I got you. I, I see where you're going there. Yeah, get with it, Netflix. Chop, chop. By the way, no NBA Jacob Swanson's got some ideas for you. He's got a few shows he's going to pitch. Thank God I got a break from the NBA. We're back with the headlines tomorrow on Outkick 360. Don't block the box, but please lock your locks.